0: Hello, podcast listeners. This is Rob again, and I'd like to ask you for a favor. As I often say, our mission here at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by helping companies improve their process safety programs. However, we can only meet our mission by working with more companies, and that's where you come in. If your company needs a PSM audit, or perhaps needs help with a process hazard analysis, or maybe you don't know how to submit an RMP plan to EPA, let us know. These are all things that we can help with. Identify process safety. We are experts in all aspects of PSM and RP regulations, including PHAs, mechanical integrity, management of change, and we also have lots of useful knowledge related to NFPA requirements, combustible dust, et cetera. So if you or someone at your company could use our help or just wants to talk about some things related to process safety, please. Don't hesitate to reach out Uh, whenever you want to. You can reach me on my direct line, 207-229-0862. And as I said, if you know of anyone who can use our services, please let us know. Till next time, be safe out there. Welcome to Amplify Your Process Safety the podcast that provides the experience and expertise you need when it comes to process safety and risk management. Our hands-on approach will give you the insight needed, whether you're new to industry or process safety in a role where you interact with aspects of process safety or an experienced process safety professional. Join us in our mission to protect people, the companies they work for, and the communities where they operate by making process safety knowledge available to all.
1: Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome back to the Amplify Your Process Safety Podcast. In today's episode, I'm joined by Joe Pastor, and we're going to be discussing another investigation report issued by the Chemical Safety Board, the CSB. They issued the report in early July 2023, and it was about an incident at the Optima Bell facility in Bell, West Virginia, which occurred on December 8, 2020. So Joe, why don't you go over who the players were in this incident?
2: Sure, so there are a few players here. So first there was the facility and they're the ones who owned the equipment. They're the ones who had the operators overseeing this batch processing. So that facility is Optima Bell. They started in 2014 and they offer their equipment for chemical toll manufacturing services. They had 29 employees at the time of the incident. And so that's Optima Bell. Now, the second player here is going to be Richmond Chemical Inc. or RCI. They provide custom manufacturing, product sourcing, and project management to life sciences, specialty chemical, and emerging technology companies. So in this case, they were providing the product sourcing. Kind
1: of like a third-party broker, just a
2: middleman. Right. They connected Optima Bell with Clearon Corporate, and they were the ones requesting that their product be manufactured. And the product in this case, the end product was going to be CDB63. So Clearon produces chlorinated uh, isocyanuric compounds at its South Charleston, West Virginia facility. And then it converts those compounds into just an array of finished goods, things like sanitizers, disinfectants, recreational water treatment, those mm-hmm. types of products.
1: Right. And they had a lot of need for those sorts of disinfectant products in 2020 with COVID hitting Good that point. Year. So yep, that's part of why they needed some supplemental toll manufacturing to boost their capacity. So, the materials that were involved in this incident, as you mentioned, were disinfectants and sanitizers. Both the raw material that they were processing and the finished goods were very similar, uh, white powdered uh, granular solids with a chlorine odor used for cleaning and bleaching, disinfecting, and sanitizing. When the product was heated to its decomposition temperature either the raw material or the finished goods, they could release chlorine gas and other toxic byproducts. And the dehydrate material, which is the starting material, was highly corrosive and typically requires corrosion-resistant alloys such as Inconel or Hastelloy. So they were looking for that in particular when they were looking for a toll manufacturer. These types of materials are not covered by OSHA's PSM standard or EPA's RMP because they're not flammable and they're not among the listed chemicals covered by either regulation. So what happened is they were uh, working to dry water molecules, water of hydration out of the chlorinated isocyanurate compound. Cleron referred to this process as drying. The trade names for the compounds, they started with CDB56 and it transitioned to CDB63. Those numbers are just designating the uh, weight of chlorine available. Optimabell was drying the CDB56 in a pressure rated rotary double cone dryer. The material unfortunately decomposed and generated significant amounts of toxic gases. That gas generation led to an overpressure of the dryer, which subsequently ruptured. When it ruptured, there was a release of toxic chlorine gas, and there was also a subsequent fire. One employee was killed, and two others were evaluated for respiratory irritation, and a local resident had a minor leg injury.
2: Right. And as you mentioned, a local resident even had an effect. So there was also, as far as off-site consequences, a shelter-in-place order issued within two miles for over four hours in duration, and then just significant property damage and debris from the explosion. You know, debris was found almost half a mile away, and property damage was around $33.1 million. Right. So, a very significant incident. Right. Uh, So, what led to
1: this? So, Optima Bell was hired to manufacture just four batches of this dried material. They planned to use a rotary cone dryer, since that was the equipment they had available in the right materials of construction, although the original request and the prior uh, batches of material had been produced and dried in a fluid bed dryer which is a different type of equipment we'll get into later, and there really wasn't much consideration of the impact of the change in type of drying equipment when they got started. Because the original request was to dry the material in a fluid bed dryer, there were some caveats that they needed to keep the hot air temperature for drying below 140 C, but With a rotary cone dryer, it was a very different configuration. So they wrote the procedure to keep the jacket temperature on the dryer below 130 C which they at the time thought was a safe approach. They began drying the first batch under vacuum and the process seemed to be going a little bit slow. They had a few issues. They started noticing some black specks in the material. So they were concerned about the quality, concerned about maybe some corrosion of uh, auxiliary valves. And so they had some delays and they ended up stopping the rotation of the dryer to investigate. And during that time, they detected a drop in the pH in the off-gas scrubber system. They were expecting some chlorine to be released, so they were running it through a scrubber. But the pH dropped precipitously. Unfortunately, they didn't realize that that was a sign of a decomposition happening inside the dryer and did not take that bit of information for what it really meant. And the temperature in the dryer continued rising, despite them turning off the steam to the jacket. As the temperature rose in the dryer, the pressure also started going up because the decomposition, as we mentioned earlier, generated significant gas and the pressure spiked just before the dryer exploded. So that's kind of what happened. Let's talk about what contributed to this.
2: Yes, lots of contributing factors here. This was a really dense report. Uh, Let's see, it was 129 pages. So as always, we will link to it. We invite you to explore it. But we'll just go over some high-level information here. So Mm -hmm. in regard to contributing factors, one of the first ones that we'll point out here is just PSI and process knowledge. So Clearon did provide a technology package. It included the SDS, and they did give this to Optima Bell, but they found that it had insufficient information regarding potential for a runaway reaction, which is what occurred. So some of the deficiencies that the CSB found included that there was an inaccurate representation of the onset temperature for a decomp reaction. They omitted the storage temperature restriction of 60 degrees Celsius or an explanation of why this is needed the SDS also incorrectly marked that hazardous reactions will not occur despite its listing of several incompatible materials and multiple decomposition products so yikes uh, not good information there and then There was some additional information available in other resources regarding the decomp hazards, but it really wasn't shared in part due to a lack of a formalized process or procedure to kind of generate and maintain this type of information and ensure that it got transmitted to partners, in this case, Optimabel. So, just a lot of issues with SDS here.
1: Yeah, it was unfortunate that they shared some information about decomposition of the product, but they neglected to share information about decomposition of the starting material with the mistaken assumption that, oh, this is all repeat. It's all the same information, and it really wasn't. So one key term I wanted to go over real quick is SADT. It's something that's referred to in the report, and it stands for self-accelerating decomposition temperature. So basically, this is the lowest temperature at which mass of material is capable of a decomposition reaction such that the heat that the reaction generates exceeds what is lost to the surroundings. And so when you get to that point, you've got a runaway reaction that can't be controlled because you can't absorb that heat and keep the temperature from skyrocketing. So that SADT is dependent on a lot of factors, such as the ambient temperature, your reaction kinetics, the equipment size, properties of the equipment, you know, how is it cooled and so forth. At the time of the incident, as we mentioned, the SDS, the safety data sheet, listed a decomposition temperature as 240 or 250 degrees C, However, subsequent testing and some other data sources indicated that the decomposition reaction could start as early as like 81 degrees C, which is where they ran into trouble because the Optima Bell process was intended to operate higher than that. They were targeting no more than 130, which if you don't think it's going to decompose until 240, that seems like a wide margin of safety. Unfortunately, their, Process data showed that the decomposition reaction did start around 83 degrees C, which matches the later testing.
2: Right. And as I mentioned before, there were some deficiencies in the technology package provided by ClearOn. But the CSB actually compared the SDS for several different suppliers of this same material and actually noted more inconsistencies there. So they found inconsistencies with the decomp temperature, safe storage conditions, instabilities, and decomposition products. And they did say in their report, you know, this problem has been noted before. And they even issued a safety alert. Well, the EPA issued a safety alert in 1999 stating that chemical hazard information can vary substantially depending on the provider. But I think it was interesting that they pointed this out just because there was the potential for this to happen at other facilities who were working with these because of how unreliable the SDS, regardless of the supplier, was for these materials. Right, right,
1: yeah. So Optima Bell was really kind of flying blind to a large degree on this uh, process. Furthermore, Optima Bell didn't confirm the adequacy of the cooling for their dryer and the relief system. They were using a different kind of dryer than what had been used in the past. And they didn't cross check some of these design details. In order to do those cross checks, they would have needed some thermal decomposition data, including the heated decomposition to confirm the dryer jacket capabilities for cooling, and also needed some reaction kinetics and stoichiometry, material balance information to confirm the relief device sizing. So, all of that information could have been obtained from chemical testing that we'll get into in a minute. Unfortunately, none of that information was included in the technology package that ClearOn provided to Optima Bell.
2: Right, and another contributing factor identified by the CSB was dealing with thermal hazard assessment. So there are a lot of details on this in the report, but Mm -hmm. just at a high level, you know, neither ClearOn nor Optima Bell really had a formalized policy for assessing thermal or reactive properties at the time that this incident took place. And there are a lot of publicly available tools that you can use to understand these types of potential reactivity concerns. And, you know, if they had used these tools, and they had indicated the potential for a runaway reaction or decomp they could have done things like gotten additional laboratory testing to just kind of confirm the specifics and Mm -hmm. figure out what needed to be taken into account in order for them to have a safe process design here and as the report points out several times this was kind of their first batch and it was full scale and so You know, that's just a very risky situation if you don't really have good information. And even if you do, to just first go, to go full scale without any sort of lab testing. Mm -hmm. Uh, We do have a podcast episode that we'll link to as well, episode 65, that kind of has a couple additional details regarding the tools and tests that you can run for chemical reactivity hazards now none of the players here as we mentioned utilized any of these resources prior to beginning this toll manufacturing process and based on the limited information that optima bell received it just seems like they didn't really think decomp was a credible scenario based on the temperatures they were operating at and so unfortunately that was just based on bad information and so their assumption you know ended up being proved incorrect
1: unfortunately Yes, yeah. so the next contributing factor to this incident was the equipment selection and design. As I mentioned, the manufacturer of this product normally used a fluid bed dryer, and that is a very different technology than what Optima Bell was using. A fluid bed dryer, you blow hot air through the material, and it's very fast drying speeds, tends to keep the temperatures low. It's very good for heat sensitive materials. Instead, Optima Bell had a rotary cone dryer, which is a very different type of equipment. It puts all of the product into a big mass in a vessel with cooling and heating on the jacket, and then it tumbles it around. So cone dryers can be more prone to non-uniform temperatures throughout the mass of material, and it can also be difficult to detect any hot spots that might be in the dryer, Additionally, the cone dryer is a pressure vessel, so it is designed to contain the material, whereas a fluid bed dryer is kind of like a huge piece of pipe, really, in some respects, in that it's not as a pressure vessel and any gases that are generated in that type of equipment would just vent out with the huge amount of airflow that's already going through the system. Whereas the cone dryer, with it being a pressure vessel, it needed to have some mechanism to remove any gas that was generated, whether it be from the water molecules that were being evaporated off or any toxic chlorine and other materials that were generated from a decomposition. So, Very different uh, types of equipment, and additionally, as you mentioned, when you're scaling anything that could have reactivity issues, changes in that batch size can have a huge difference. As the CSB has pointed out in a prior investigation, and it has to do with the surface area and volume ratios, in that a lot of times, heating and cooling systems are based on, like on this cone dryer, a jacket as your volume increases your surface area for that jacket cooling and heat transfer proportional to the volume goes way down and at some point as you scale up you just cannot provide enough cooling so something may look good on a bench scale or a pilot scale when you get it to full scale you've really messed up on your cooling capacity so that was another piece that was factored into here with the equipment also with their equipment configuration Optima Bell, because they didn't think that a runaway reaction was a credible scenario, they didn't equip their dryer with a lot of safeguards that you might expect, like high temperature alarms, high rate of rise alarms, any sort of interlocks to switch over to full cooling any of that sort of stuff. They thought that they were going to be working more than 100 degrees C below that onset temperature, and so they weren't weren't terribly concerned. And then the last thing that the CSB pointed out with regard to the equipment is that this cone dryer was an ASME-8 pressure vessel, which needs to have relief devices to protect against overpressure, including runaway reactions, if that's a potential. However, West Virginia is not a code state, so they're not required to follow ASME Section 8, and so they were less aware of, perhaps, of those requirements. So that's a a watch out for the handful of states, West Virginia being one of them, that uh, does not require compliance with ASME Section 8 but it's still good industry practice that you should provide overpressure protection for any sort of pressure vessel. So there's a lot more detail in the report about the whole equipment evaluation and selection and some of those caveats and contributing factors. And so if you want more details, uh, we suggest you go take a look at the report. Why don't you go into the next uh, contributing factor, Joe?
2: Sure, so uh, another contributing factor that the CSP identified in this case was just the issue of toll manufacturing. So companies often augment their in-house production capacity by outsourcing chemical processes, including distillation. It could be drying, formulating, blending, packaging, just like what was done here. And the outsourcing, you know, doesn't outsource the responsibility for process safety. So the CSP really said that, you know, effective process safety, and prevention of catastrophic incidents are responsibilities shared by all parties involved when you have these tolling operations. Now, there was a PHA conducted, but it didn't include sufficient information about the reactive hazards, and Clearon didn't really substantially participate. And again, as we said several times, the change in drying equipment was just not evaluated at all. And as Molly went through, it was a very significant change in how that drying equipment was designed and how it operates. Yeah, and
1: that gets into the whole operation and uh, the the PHA as well, and that whenever you have a PHA, the quality really is dependent on the knowledge of the players and the team that's conducting the analysis. And it's really critical that you have people that are familiar with the process and the chemicals that are being used. So even though Optima Bell did a PHA without ClearOn and their wealth of knowledge on the products and the process that they had worked with in the past, Optima Bell Had very little information to go on to conduct a rigorous PHA. So that was unfortunate that they didn't have the right participation on that team.
2: Right. So there were a host of recommendations that the CSB Mm -hmm. made. We will try to kind of combine here uh, for ease of understanding. But again, we invite you to go to the report to see all of these recommendations, they are ordered by who they are addressed to. So Molly, what did the CSB recommend to OSHA specifically?
1: Yeah, so interestingly enough, they were basically updating a recommendation from 2001 that had not yet been addressed uh, from a prior incident investigation report. They were directing OSHA to amend the PSM standard to achieve more comprehensive control of reactive hazards. They wanted them to broaden coverage to include reactive hazards resulting from process-specific conditions and combinations of chemicals and self reactive Chemicals or ones that can decompose, like we had in this situation. They wanted to require a compilation of process safety information from multiple sources to understand and control the reactive hazards and augment the PHA requirements to explicitly require. An evaluation of reactive hazards. They said that the PHA should include information such as the rate and quantity of heat and gas generated, maximum operating temperatures to avoid decomposition, Thermal stability of reactants, mixtures, byproducts, waste streams and products, effective variables such as change of rates, catalyst addition and possible contaminants, and the understanding of consequences of runaway reactions or toxic or any other sort of gas evolution. So, that was a recommendation that's been out there for a number of years, and I think it is a very important point that the PSM standard does not cover a lot of these reactive chemical hazards, and I think that's a big gap. So, I definitely agree with the CSB's recommendation there. Additionally, they wanted OSHA to update a chemical reactivity hazards website that they have available. It's at www.osha.gov slash chemical reactivity, and we can link to that in our podcast notes as well. They want them to update the tools which have been developed since that website was initially put out and evaluate the additional resources section uh, for additional updates and changes. Finally, they wanted to ensure that the chemical industry is aware of chemical reactivity hazards website uh, that is available, and they want OSHA to develop and implement a comprehensive outreach plan that targets chemical industry and associated trade organizations to share that information.
2: Yes. So similarly, the recommendation made by the CSB to the EPA was just a reiteration of a previous recommendation, and that was to revise the RMP standard to explicitly cover catastrophic reactive hazards that have the potential to seriously impact the public, including those resulting from self-reactive chemicals and combinations of chemicals and process-specific conditions. So just like the OSHA one, this site was not PSM or RMP covered, and so the recommendations are very similar to those organizations because the CSB feels that these need to be more tightly regulated. And then to the National Center for Biotechnology Information, the NCBI, they recommended that they update the information in PubChem for sodium dichloroisocyanurate dihydrate to include publicly available reactivity and decomposition information. And then to CCPS, the Center for Chemical Process Safety, they recommended that they update the guidelines for process safety in outsourced manufacturing operations. Is that one of the books that they have? Yes, that's one of their guidelines books. Mm -hmm. Got it. And they said that they should develop a new tolling guidance document to kind of supplement the existing guidelines that they have. Ooh, and then there's even more recommendations. Right,
1: and then finally, they wrap up with some recommendations specifically to the players in this particular incident, Optima Bell, ClearOn, and RCI. There are a lot of details in here. We're just going to quickly summarize them. They recommended that they develop and implement a written thermal and reactive hazards evaluation and management program, develop and implement a comprehensive process knowledge management program to share information with toll manufacturers update the safety data sheet for CDB 56, develop and implement a written program for tolling process design and equipment selection to ensure chemical hazards are fully understood and controlled, develop and implement a PSM system consistent with industry guidance, They weren't specifically covered by the OSHA standard, but it's still recommended that they put in some sort of process safety management program. At a minimum, it should include hazard identification, risk analysis, and management of risk. And finally, develop and implement a formalized program for development of toll manufacturing agreements to lay out roles and responsibilities for all of the players to that agreement. So lots and lots of recommendations. We went through a real quick summary of those. If you're interested, take a look at the CSB report. So we always like to wrap up with what can companies learn? Obviously, this was a very specific incident, but we think that there are some broad-based uh, learnings that anybody in the chemical industry can take away from this.
2: So where do we start, Joe? Joe? sure so first off just understand your reactive chemistry there are publicly available resources that you can use as a starting point you can supplement it with testing as needed and you cannot assume that the sds contains all of the necessary information that you need to really understand the reactive hazards like we saw here and as we mentioned most reactive chemicals are not covered under psm or rmp but it's really still essential to have a robust process safety program in place to make sure that you can safely manage those materials and the risks that come with them. And also that helps you to comply with the general duty clause to provide a safe workplace as well. And just some sub bullets here. The CSB did publish a report in 2002 titled Hazard Investigation Improving Reactive Hazard Management. And they did study Uh, 167 known reactive chemical incidents that occurred between 1980 and 2001. So, this is fairly prevalent that we're Mm -hmm. seeing incidents involving reactive chemistry. And then since that report, so since 2001, the CSB has investigated an additional 11 incidents involving reactive chemicals and none of these were covered by PSM or RMP. There is a table of these incidents if you're interested in learning more in the report but overall those 11 incidents resulted in 28 fatalities and hundreds of injuries so this is just something that we are seeing again and again in industry so it's just really important to understand your reactive chemistry in order to prevent something like this from happening.
1: Right. It's an ongoing problem, and everybody needs to kind of step up and raise their awareness of those hazards. The next thing that we think people can take away from this is that when selecting or changing equipment for process, you need to make sure you do a thorough engineering evaluation, including reviewing heating and cooling capacities, especially when scaling up. If you're doing a new process and you've got reactive chemistry, you should do stuff at the lab scale, preferably a small pilot plant scale and take it a step at a time to make sure you evaluate all of that. In this case, they jumped straight into a batch with like 8,000 pounds or something like that, which was a very large scale. So whenever you're uh, scaling up, With reactive chemistry, make sure to take each of those steps as you're going up in size and evaluate. Also, you need to make sure you evaluate your relief system design for all possible overpressure scenarios, including potential reactions. I realize that sometimes when you have reactive chemistry and you do that sizing for a relief device, it comes up as You know, in hindsight, uh, the CSB did some calculations for this particular dryer and said, well, it would have required a 30 inch rupture disc to handle that scenario, which for an eight foot dryer with, you know, sloped sides and so forth, was really not practical. And so that is sometimes the case that you come up with when you look at reactive chemistry and it's just very impractical, the sizing for a relief device. So if that's the case, then you need to take other robust precautions to avoid any sort of runaway reaction. The kind of phrasing for this is overpressure protection through system design that's in the ASME codes. And so what you need to do is find other safeguards and interlocks or automated systems that will keep you from getting to the point of having a runaway reaction. And those need to be as reliable or more reliable than a relief device for that scenario. So a lot of just basic engineering design needs to go into systems when you're talking about reactive chemistry.
2: And then a final key lesson for industry just involves those that are a party to toll manufacturing. So just ensure that every party involved is working together to share information and also to review and manage hazards prior to starting up You know, don't feel like you can skip the PHA just because it's not required by regulation because it's really the most important pre-startup activity for preventing problems, and it provides an opportunity for everyone to share information. And the client should review the toller's health and safety and environmental practices and ensure that their management systems, like procedures, training, are adequate, and that may require audits during the toll operation to kind of ensure that that is still up to par.
1: Right. Yeah. You don't want to just hand it off when you know that you have a hazardous process and, you know, hand it to somebody and say, hey, good luck. See ya. Right. (laughs) Every party needs to uh, be involved in that. As I say, just handing off the toll manufacturing doesn't absolve you of responsibilities for process safety. Right. So finally, if you have a comment about this week's episode or an idea for future podcast episode or any other questions about process safety, we'd love to hear from you. We have been getting some comments on these CSB reports, and so we'd love to hear your uh, thoughts on these. So you can shoot us an email at podcast at amplifyconsultants.com. Also, we'd like to refer you to one of our other Uh, Podcast episodes, if you want to learn more about chemical reactivity and the tools available publicly and testing that uh, might be needed to learn more about your chemical reactions, that's covered in our podcast episode 65, Chemical Reactivity Testing with Michelle Murphy. So we encourage you to listen to that and we'll have a link to that on our uh, podcast notes as well.
2: And finally, we'd like to thank the CSB again for the important work they're doing when they conduct these incident investigations. These final reports really provide a lot of industry guidance so that hopefully no one else has to suffer similar consequences. And we like to think that we're doing our part to kind of get the word out about these final investigations as they're released and summarize what happened, some key lessons for industry, and other details to kind of make it easier to distribute to those who could learn something from it. If you haven't listened to any of our other episodes where we delve into CSB final reports, you can find those by searching Incident Breakdown in our podcast library on our website. And of course, for further details on this incident and many others, you can visit the CSB website at csb.gov.
1: Yep, and finally, our goal at Amplify Process Safety is to save lives by partnering with companies that handle highly hazardous chemicals to create world-class process safety systems. It is our firm belief that these systems will help prevent catastrophic incidents like fires, explosions, toxic releases, and uncontrolled product decompositions, So please don't hesitate to reach out to us if we can help guide you on your process safety journey. Thank you for listening, everyone. And until next time, be safe out there.